Hello everybody and welcome to the Australian Seller Podcast. My name is Chris Thomas and I'll be your host and this is the show where we talk about all things Amazon and e-commerce, whether it be private label, wholesale, dropshipping and how you can generate a recurring income either on the side or as a full-time gig. G'day, g'day everybody and welcome back to the show. It's great to have your company. This week's guest is Jason Lee from the FBAflipper.com. Jason's firm or brokerage helps people and businesses who want to buy China-based FBA businesses uh, FBA Flipper is the only broker that knows both Western, the Western FBA space as well as the Chinese FBA space and M&A as well. So Jason's looked at over 400 e-commerce businesses for sale over the years and he also sells on Amazon himself so he knows the space very well. Uh, we go in depth today um, especially on the four crucial steps that you need to take to sell and transfer your own FBA business off market without a broker who will charge as high as 15% of the entire deal size to get you <laughs> to help you get this simple process done. So if you do want to do a deal off market, uh, this is the best way to do it. Uh, the differences between Chinese and Western buyers and sellers and all that sort of stuff um, and how it's absolutely vital that you know your numbers. A lot of sellers focus on cash flow, trying to get enough inventory for you know the forthcoming months or whatever. But understanding your actual net profit at the end of each month is crucial in order to be able to value your FBA business properly. Uh, look, we cover lots more. So if you're thinking about selling your Amazon business or even buying one, this is an absolutely must-listen episode. Now, don't forget to join my Facebook group over at theaustralianseller.com forward slash Facebook. We're about five members away from 2,000 members, so that's an incredible. Uh, don't forget as well that I'm offering private coaching this year, so please head over to theaustralianseller.com forward slash Chris to book an hour session with me to make sure you're heading in the right direction. And coming soon, I will also be speaking at the Global Sources Summit towards the end of this month. That's April 2021, so keep an eye out for that. And a big thanks, lastly, to the Retail Global folks for allowing me to speak at the Retail Global Conference on the Gold Coast just a few short weeks ago. It was cut short, but Regina Kelly and I managed to knock out a five-hour excuse me, intensive workshop on how to build your brand on Amazon Australia. That's it from me for now. Here's Jason Lee from the FBA Flipper. Back to another episode of the Australian Seller Podcast, and today I am thrilled to welcome Jason Lee from the FBA Flipper. Uh, Jason, welcome to the show, and thanks for joining me. Nice to talk on this podcast. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, do you want to give us a bit of an intro and give us a bit of your background and what you've been up to? Sure. Uh, as you said, my name is Jason, and I'm originally from Boston, and uh, I sort of fell into the space of mergers and acquisitions and Amazon sort of by accident. Uh, I had a goal of being a digital nomad and traveling the world and working. And an opportunity came up that allowed me to work for a company that enabled that kind of freedom. And then that's what got brought me into the space of M&A uh, in general of online businesses. And then later uh, specifically focusing on Amazon. So you work for quite a large broking company out of the United States that I've dealt with in the past, and um, you actually uh, have been you were involved with them for quite a few years, weren't you? Really getting thick into the deal side of things, that, um, you know, helping buyers and sellers of Amazon accounts to put these deals together. How many deals do you reckon you worked to broker over that period of time that you were with them? So the company is quite smart, and they actually break it up into different sections. Uh, so I, I would say I mostly handled on the sell side uh, and not so much the buy side, which has been a learning experience in and of itself. 
Mm-hmm. But uh, I did look at over 400 plus businesses and wow. probably the ma- majority, at least half, if not the majority, were, were Amazon FBA business models. Okay. So what were the sort of the deal sizes that were going through when you were looking at these 400 businesses? I mean, what, what did it range from? Uh, I definitely noticed a growth from they used to be smaller and they just kept getting larger and larger. Uh, mm-hmm. And so one of the requirements of the marketplace was that it had to earn at least $1,000 net profit for the trailing 12 months. So mm-hmm. I would see them and see some that didn't make that. Uh, but generally, they were above that. I would say the average was probably doing four or 5000 a month in net profit yep. uh, for on an accrual basis. But sometimes the seller felt like they were making a ton more. And then sometimes they were surprised they were making that much. It really depended on how well they knew their numbers, which is kind of surprising how many didn't know the numbers. Well, I have to uh, admit that when I sold my first business, um, I, I listed um, my business way back in 2016, I think it was, end of 2016, early 2017. I decided not to sell at the time, but I was a bit shocked actually at the size of the valuation that came back um, because I didn't know my numbers. But the great thing yeah. about the way that the, the uh, I guess the financials were sorted out or organized was that the broking firm that I was going through um, had a really big spreadsheet. And so every single... Um, marketplace I was operating in, all of the FBA costs were going into this spreadsheet. Um, it was very complex, uh, including uh, all of the, uh, I'm just trying to think of all the numbers that came out of like Shopify as well, mm-hmm. all the costs, obviously, um, to do with the cost of goods and the lead times, all that stuff. It was really interesting to see the number get spit out, spat out at the bottom of, of each month to show you your sort of seller discretionary earnings or net profit as, as you've described them. And um and then, I think uh, that, and then get it valued. Yeah. I mean, I think that from a, a seller's perspective, someone who actually is running the e-commerce store themselves, they're focused more on a cash basis as do I have enough money to buy inventory next month or how are sales and how is this doing? Um, they don't necessarily step back and look at it from a financial perspective uh, in terms of valuation, in terms of these certain fees. Uh, they just sort of think, oh, my sales are down from yesterday. Let me drop the price or let me do this lightning deal or let me do this. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's 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 how you get that's good. They focus on that. But when it comes to selling, um, you know, they might think they're making a certain amount because they use the Amazon FBA calculator for their for their profit on per unit. Mm-hmm. And they just assume I'll take the business reports and multiply it out. And that's what it is. But Mm-mm. there's also a lot of hidden fees in there account level fees, I would call them, that Amazon charges that people forget about, um, as well as advertising is the big is the big variable. You also sell on Amazon yourself too, don't you now? Yep, yep. So uh, I left the company I was working for over a year ago now, and I was looking for new opportunities. And so I sort of reached out to the, to the network of people I've worked with and helped. And mm-hmm. uh, I actually worked for someone for a while I took some months off, actually. I took some time off, and then I started working for someone. Um, at the same time, uh, one person was interested in starting one with me because he had started and successfully exited his business, mm-hmm. and he was looking for a partner. Um, so his strength is he's really good at starting an Amazon business, and uh, he got, it got to the size that most start exiting or start thinking of exiting where it became too much to juggle for one person, mm-hmm. but he wasn't able to necessarily hire for to grow bigger because his own ability his, his own personality is really great at starting but not at systems and scaling um 
So he was looking for someone uh, to bring on to help him with the visit, help him with the new adventure, and also just sort mm. of be in the trenches with him. Mm. Um, so that's how I got started selling. Definitely wouldn't be able to start without him. Mm. Um, he is the majority stake out, stake owner on the business, mm-hmm. uh, but I help handle the operation side of things for the shipments, the uh, VA to make sure the customer service is going well. Mm. Um, so he doesn't have to worry about that. But he's still he's still in there with the product selection and also the advertising. Um, so that's how I got started selling on Amazon myself. And that's when I started learning all the little details that most sellers focus on. And I do recall being in a conference in Guangzhou um, put on by someone in the community mm. and someone, one of the sellers mentioned like, oh, I had this issue with a flat file. And despite the fact that I worked in Seller Central pulling reports for a year and a half or more at that point, mm. I didn't know what a flat file was. Um, because didn't have to deal with that. And then I learned, okay, well, now I, as Amazon seller myself, I start learning, okay, if I want to change the brand after it's been selling for a while and has all these reviews, mm. I, I learned about a flat file and the pain of a flat file. The pain, <laughs> the pain. I think if anybody ever invents, like I, I actually thought about doing this last year, was creating like a flat file builder, some kind of complex WYSIWYG software thing that, fixes it all <laughs> I just oh. went, it's just too hard i'm not even going to attempt to do anything like that it's crazy they're just horrible aren't they um yeah yeah I don't, i'm yet to upload a flat file without a single error first try so that just... would be that that's that in itself would be an accomplishment yeah to be able to yeah. upload it yeah yeah and also dealing with seller support and uh yeah realizing realizing the issues of that and just being i think being pushy to make sure your query actually gets solved. That's correct. Yeah, there's a lot of, sometimes you've really got to push them. Um, you're sourcing, whereabouts are you sourcing your products from? I'm assuming it's from China, given that you're, at the moment, I think you're based, you mentioned in Taipei, is that right? Correct. Yeah, I'm here. I left China uh, end of 2019 or early 2020, which is before the pandemic, I got Taiwan. Um, couldn't have been a better time. Yeah. And uh, yeah, sourcing from China, supply chain is the easiest there. It's all integrated. Mm. I, I talk to people who don't sell and they always think, well, why don't you source from Vietnam or Southeast Asia or like made in the USA? And quite frankly, there's no other country that I know of that has a simple, as simple of a platform as Alibaba. And even the Chinese equivalent, 1688 for the domestic mm. use is way by far the easiest way to find um, products. And yep. it's everything. It's not just the product, but the packaging and the, to fill it. Like the whole ecosystem is there. So definitely it's uh, sourced in Guangdong. Yeah, there you go. What categories, I mean, are you scattergunning and just putting any product that you can find into you know, any category or are you actually trying to build a brand, you and your business partner? Uh, we were initially just doing the scattershot, whatever is profitable mm-hmm. um, in the beginning. I think we realized it's easier and better if we just stick to one. Um, it is tempting. We did start by trying to launch in three different categories, mm. um, not all at the same time, but sequentially, because um, we saw a profit in all of them. And one of them turned out not to be as profitable as we thought it was when we actually entered the market because the A cost was too high. Mm. Uh, but you can't see that on the on the Helium 10 side of things. No. Uh, and then and then also like the competition, the demand wasn't. It's all if you look at the one mistake we made in choosing that category was mm. we didn't realize the the 80-20 on that wasn't 80-20 or like for in terms of the first two listings getting 80% of the sales, it was actually like 
the first two Google listings get like 98% of the sales. And if you aren't the first two, everything else is just trailing. Yeah, it's gone. Um, yeah. Whereas some of the other categories we entered to were, were, were better. Um, so now we're going to focus down on the home and kitchen one that we were in. Yeah. Um, specifically kitchen and try to create more of a brand around that. Yeah. So, so you're kind of talking about depth of market there, aren't you? When you see all the sales concentrated and say the first two sellers for whatever reason, sometimes it's reviews or rankings or whatever. And then it's pretty flat after that three, four, five, six, seven, and, and everything after it's that. It's a precipitous drop. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's not too fun. <laughs> Been there. Yep. Um, yeah. Good depthy markets are always good to get into or page one of Helium 10, et cetera, et cetera. Um, let's talk about the Chinese though um, and mm-hmm. Western sellers. So what what's the what are the big differences that you've seen um at you know in, not only from the deal side but also from you know chinese sellers and what they're selling and how they're operating and, and all that stuff it's not yeah. really a particularly good question but what just what are your observations there um so yeah i lived in shenzhen for from what was that end of 2018 uh through early 2020 mm-hmm. and that's when i got to see and understand a bit more how china does the Chinese seller market is um, for most it's a black box, except for the fact that when you start getting negative reviews or attacked by people in a certain Kenya product or a category, and you see that like they're based in, I don't know, Anhui or Guangdong, somewhere in China. Mm. And then you're like, Oh, it's a Chinese seller. Um, and, and people hear about it, but I think people's knowledge about the Chinese seller market is very limited from the West. Uh, there's issues of language and also there's no reason for China to talk about it or even Amazon because Amazon fully acknowledges with internal documents that this would disgruntle Western third-party sellers if they knew all the resources that Amazon's giving mm. on the China side that the Westerners don't get. Um, mm. Such as like, all you have to do is send everything to a single collection point in China mm-hmm. and the Amazon can handle the freight from there to the US. Now the rates on that aren't great, but it's mm. a service that they offer for people who, who I guess are less experienced with things. Mm. Um, and then all the government subsidies and funding behind everything. I thought it was impressive when I was in Hangzhou that the government was uh, sponsoring and paying for conference halls of Amazon, it was teaching how sellers how to do Amazon business to business. And it was some hotel, but it was paid for by the government. And there was probably like, it was small, like 100 people because it's China. So that's not big. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then if you went to like the conference in Ningbo that year, it was 2018. They had easily over 10,000 people, sellers, um, oh at a single place. It could have been more. And then in Shenzhen, where I was living for most of the time, just the fact that they have these great, granted, they're in the best location. They have these industrial parks um, way out in the city, way on the edge of the city. But mm. it's dirt cheap, even in relative purchasing power, uh, to rent an office there because the government's subsidizing it. So yeah. government backing behind it, you will get no equivalent. Um, it's like, I hear that there's a lot of sellers in LA, but it's not like when I was in Shenzhen, I go to a Starbucks and I literally overhear people talking about Amazon selling. And I'm just like, it's not all in Chinese, but like, I'm just like, where hmm. do you go? Okay. Maybe during a conference in Chiang Mai, you'll hear about it, or in Bali, you might encounter, you might see that white person. You'd be like, they're hearing the conversation. You'll hear about it, but it's not like in China where I remember I went and stayed at a hostel for a little bit and I told him what I did in Chinese. And he's like, oh, I also sell on Amazon. And I'm like, what the heck? Like this hostel owner who's 23 or 20 something years old, he's selling on Amazon too. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, 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 let me show you my, let me show you my products. And then I was just like, 
it's not something that a Westerner wouldn't bother doing. It was headphones or something like cute kitty ear headphones um, sure. for like gamer girls. But I was just like, I don't know of any place in the world that you could just pop in and, and, and it would be like this. Yeah. Um, and it was, yeah, that ecosystem. And definitely noticed that in within China, because people just group it all as, oh, it's China. But mm. the best sellers are all in Shenzhen, specifically Shenzhen. Mm. Uh, it's you go to conferences in uh, Hangzhou or Shanghai or Beijing, um, and they are super far behind on things or relatively far behind mm. on the latest techniques and also support an ecosystem because it's just so concentrated in Shenzhen because the former manufacturing hub of where it used to be. Mm. Um, that I would say at least 90, probably 90% of the sellers who are based in China are just based in Shenzhen. Uh, they might have their address listed on the storefront as some random province somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, but They're the actual business. where they live, yeah. yeah, where they have where they have a network is Shenzhen. How, how big are some of these sellers? I mean, what, I mean, I suppose it must range from you know a couple of hundred dollars a month right up to millions of dollars a month. I mean, we've all heard yeah. of some of the really big ones like Anchor and guys like that. Um, you know, what's the sort of average kind of store size over there? In terms of monthly revenue, is that is that possible I think an to average answer? is probably a bad a bad way of saying it. You probably want to say median, but I don't know because mm. uh, I would definitely say though the skew the if you were to take an eighty twenty of the market and like the if you're looking at proportionally, I think the proportion of high earning Chinese sellers is going to be much lower mm. than what you get in the West. Yeah. Okay. Um, Several reasons behind that is generally they're targeting other categories that Chinese are doing that have low margins, so electronics um, or apparel Mm. (laughs) or like some face masks and massage guns, like the the things that you just don't want. Uh, And then also Chinese have a huge advantage over most Western sellers in that they don't pay tax. Um, Mm. I mean, they might, Amazon might charge a sales tax, but as a business entity, they usually don't put on their business entity, they just put under their Chinese national ID. Um, and it's a little different because it's like, I could never give my social security number to a friend in the U S and have them use that as their account thing, because mm. I would be tax liable for any of the earnings That's right. in China. They don't have that. They, they aren't liable. So mm. like if I had my moms or mother-in-laws or I don't know, friend from fourth grades, national ID to open mm. up an account, they aren't going to be held tax liable. Um, That's right. so it's, so they can live on lower margins. Yeah, and in fact, that's that's pretty similar for just about everybody that lives outside the US that sells into Amazon US in particular. So yeah, um, it's a lot. It's a big difference. It's a different story in Europe, though. That's for sure. Like, uh, and also here in Australia with the GST, which is our version of VAT yeah, or sales GST. tax. Yeah, yeah. So um, you know, we we do actually have an advantage um, uh, in terms of you know on the grand US based sellers, but at the same time, you know, we it is a lot harder to get things organized particularly if, you know if you're not in china or say india or vietnam where you can source stuff from um you know you are sort of dealing remotely generally with alibaba or a factory or an agent or something mm-hmm. and, and really hoping for the best there's a lot of finger crossing <laughs> yeah to, yeah to hope that you sure. can get get your stuff from one end of the world to the other and um yeah without a, a big ship blocking the Suez canal um, to go back to your question though about mm. operationally, what is the difference between what you see in like, Chinese and Western? Mm. I would say Chinese ones are generally you can have larger teams because labor is cheaper. Um, mm-hmm. 
so you'll have one person on logistics, one person on PPC, um, yeah, one yeah, person wow. on yeah customer service something. So mm -hmm. that's one person purely for product research. Westerners do the same to a larger like when they get to a certain scale, mm -hmm. but Chinese can do it at a smaller scale because the cause the cost of labor is cheaper. Mm -hmm. So Jason, how many factories are selling direct to through Amazon versus uh, you know just your regular sort of Amazon seller who's sourcing from a factory? Or is it was there a sort of a percentage split that you could put your finger on? Uh, off the top of my head, I can't give one, but I would say it's much less than what people expect. Uh, I know it's not a great answer, but people, you know, one of the strategies of Amazon is trying to go factory direct mm. to consumer. Maybe you call it maybe like MTC, manufacturer to consumer direct, and Amazon's just the middleman. Uh, and so they're trying to cut out third-party sellers and their profit margin by, you know, it's like it can be the factories instead. The issue with that is that most factory people are probably the baby boomer age and don't have the technology or business or international savviness to sell direct on Amazon themselves. There's uh, so what they typically do is they actually partner with agencies mm -hmm. who will take a 20 or 30% cut off the, off the profit right. uh, as a fee to run the business. Um, so, I mean, very few acquirers like to acquire an account owned by a factory because in their mind, that's the Achilles heel. They could just shut them off or raise the prices and then be screwed. That's right. Some other buyers are willing to, to, to dabble in that. It all depends. But I would say the vast majority are mostly still resellers because the resellers are only younger in, demographically, yeah. uh, have more of an international mindset. Mm -hmm. Their English might not be great, but it's going to be a bit more because uh, a factory, you get an order from a client and you sell 3000 and you're used to that cash flow perspective. Yeah. You're used to a wholesale order. And your management and your focus is on, do I have enough migrant workers? Mm. Is the quality decent enough to satisfy the, for the, to satisfy the, um, yeah, the customer? That's right. And then like uh, the factory housing, all that kind of stuff. Mm. Uh, for them to focus on specifically an Amazon business, which is definitely higher profit. But if, you, if they look at their own and they think about what they know from their own supply chain experience mm. of you know, made in China for the past 30 years, they're used to having multiple different clients who, yeah, one of them might be an Amazon seller, but not all of them are Amazon sellers. No. Some are still brick and mortar retail stuff. And so for them to uh, double down to focus on this other new business model, in the long run, it's probably better for them. But uh, in the long run, if by the time they make the switch, most of these factory owners are probably actually already of past retirement age, so it wouldn't even matter. Yeah. Um, it's quite risky. So I would say quite risky for yeah, them too to, to hedge all your bets on one channel. Uh, yeah, just focus purely on Amazon. Yeah. So I would say not not many, um, and that's something that we screen for early on mm. is making sure. I mean, there are definitely Chinese factories that sell on Amazon, um, and they can go, of course, lower margins and and undercut things, but their quality is going to be is really bad, mm -hmm. and it's quite easy to tell if it's a factory on the Amazon side, or it's easier to. If you look at their products and you see that, oh, this sort of requires, um, it's all the same manufacturing process. It may not be coherent in a brand sense. Mm. They might have both uh, swimwear with um, like a knee brace with uh, women's swimsuits mm. and also like bed sheets and pillowcases. Yeah. So it's all, it's all apparel and it's all um, textiles, but it's not a coherent brand. I see. Uh, that's, that's an easy way to spot it. And, and we, we just stay away from that um, hmm. in general. Cool. So I would say 
yeah, in the amount who are factories versus versus manufacturers versus resellers, mm-hmm. majority are, are in fact still resellers. Got it. A lot of the Chinese also seem to be able to they seem to have really good cash flow and be able to fund quite large businesses with a lot of inventory. Are they are there loans or something available to Chinese sellers, cheap loans that they can they can really scale up using other people's money or are they bootstrapping? What are they? Yeah. Mm. Uh, such experience on that. Um, there is, yeah, they can get funding mm-hmm. from other sources, mm-hmm. raising it through what you've, uh, West we'd call it shark loans or um, shadow banking uh-huh. stuff. Like they can, they can, tip, not typically, not typical bank financing, mm-hmm. but there are other finance stuff. And then if the central government in Beijing says, oh, these are the industries we want to target for growth, e commerce is one mm-hmm. of them. And essentially, it means is that um, provincial governments or city and then city governments bid for like that part of the fund that they're saying we want to push e-commerce. Mm-hmm. So then that usually the city government then has a ton of money to be like, oh, you need money for inventory? Like here it is like okay. at very low interest rates. Yeah. Um, and whether they get it back or not is a whole other question. <laughs> uh, I find that on, on average, Chinese-owned Amazon businesses have a lower margin. Uh, and so their cash flow is actually worse than what you like is because it's because the lower mm. margins is worse. Um, but it also seems like a lot of them could be like, not you talk to the sellers and it's such an urgency to sell um, because their margins are low. So the cash flow is terrible and they have to pay staff. Mm. Um, they have an urgency to sell, but then we ask, we give them a valuation mm. and they refuse it because they aren't, they need to pay back all the stuff that they just had, had taken in as money. Um, mm. to run their business. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so there's sort of, uh, yeah, there's not much of an exit at the end once you've paid everybody back and you've actually found out that you're, you might be cash, well, it's just the whole thing's not good, is it? You, you don't have enough profit to be able to um, to really exit with any kind of dignity <laughs> at that point. Yeah, the joke, the joke in China is that um, in most businesses, you either, it's, is your business B2C, business consumer, or B2B? Um, in China, the joke is uh, the best business model is B to VC. So create a business, scale mm-hmm. it, and then you exit and go public before it all falls apart. Exactly. Um, so prime examples of that are Luckin Coffee, which was supposedly beat Starbucks and expanded super fast and went IPO. And then I think it's now delisted and completely gone. Um, <laughs> okay. Another is like the, the ride sharing bikes. Yeah, that's stuff. right. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was plenty of examples of that. Heaps and heaps. Yeah, it's all about just sort of. Is the U.S. much different with WeWork and Uber? Hard to say, but I think China takes it to a bit more extreme. Okay. You, let's touch on because you've mentioned that uh, Chinese buyers, oh sorry, Chinese sellers, Amazon sellers are looking to exit. Um, some successfully, some not so successfully. Um, what's the what, what's the deal market look like in China? I mean, are there a lot? Who's selling to who? Are Chinese sellers selling to Western buyers, or Western buyers selling to Chinese sellers, or Chinese sellers selling to Chinese sellers? How does all that look? Yeah, uh, at the, for the most part, most the educational the education around this industry of being able to exit your Amazon business in China is very low. Um, I have come across articles in Chinese about it, but they're generally a little behind the curve on it because of uh, information just, yeah, being translated from English to Chinese and it's just not as, English is lower. Um, so I would say it's it's probably looks like the Amazon FBA market, acquisition market in like 2015, 2016. Mm. 
relatively speaking, like very wide open, but with caveats because most Chinese, I, I mean, it's like anything. I don't think a lot of sellers on Amazon have a necessarily a plan to exit uh, when they create their business. They're thinking of it, this is my business and I'm going to hold on to it for indefinitely. Mm-hmm. Um, so most Chinese are still in that mindset. They're like, if this is profitable, why would I sell it? Uh, and then uh, if they do want to think of selling, they typically think of one of two ways, which is either get big enough to conglomerate with a bunch of other people in IPO um, on the Chinese stock market or uh, exit to a large consumer company mm. uh, that is going to is going to buy them up. Mm. So not like anyone probably has heard of it, but like Top Tom. Uh, no. I've heard I've heard of Aki trying to get into the space acquiring as well as Anchor. But there are other companies that are smaller that aren't known outside of China that are that sometimes buy these businesses yeah there's quite a lot of brokers on the market as well one of the one of the questions that i had i've always been curious about um guys like thrasio for example or alpha rock capital how do these guys raise enough the capital required to acquire amazon businesses um yeah i mean if you look at the funding sources of thrasio or say another one is like uh, i think heyday is a big one um any of these acquired you can just google they sometimes state who they are getting their money from and for them some people who come from the venture capital space of silicon valley who are a bit disappointed in the returns on that and sees that hey i can buy business it's actually already profitable i don't have to wait Mm -hmm. this is like a clear cut thing it's 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 yeah it's profitable um and so i think that's where some of the money is coming from and then recently, I would say a lot of it, it's definitely the effect of stimulus and low interest mm-hmm. rates are noticeably affecting the amount of acquirers coming on board. Uh, there's, you could probably Google a list and come up with 40 different acquirers. Mm-hmm. And in my conversations with them, mm-hmm. I would say only maybe 10 are legitimate. And I mean, my legitimate, not because they don't have capital, the other ones, uh, but actually know what they're doing. Right. Uh, you talk to some of these founders and they're like, oh, I had supply chain experience at Target. Yep. No. And, oh, my partner worked at Wayfair. <laughs> and it's like, how is that at all relevant? Mm. But it's like, no, I got it from a cash. I, I have a finance background and I get it. And it's like, I think there's a lot of finance bros out there that didn't get burned. There might be. Um, I did some consulting work with Alpha Rock Capital a year or two ago. Um, it was fascinating to watch the way they were. Um, or, and in fact, are very very smart finance people, but at the same time, the mm-hmm. operational side of their business is unbelievably efficient, um, being run by very experienced Amazon sellers, uh, you know, previous mm-hmm. and still selling themselves uh, with a really strong team of VAs as well. And um, yeah, I was really impressed with the way that they were running the business. Um, I haven't had any experience with anybody else, that, but uh, yeah. They're, they're particularly about them is they have the experience and they have on both sides of the finance and the operational yep. side. Um, but what they lack is that I understand most of the team is based in Manila. And so it's kind of hard to raise capital if they can't see them in person, um, which is one of their hurdles, barriers. To That's right. Um, which is kind of, if you look at most acquirers, uh, they are, of course, most of them in the U.S. because mm-hmm. the U.S. market is the easiest to raise capital. And uh, a lot of them are concentrated in my hometown of Boston. Wow. Uh, Thrasio, yeah. Perch, mm-hmm. uh, Dragonfly Commerce. Uh, I think there's a couple other, I forget my list, mm. uh, that are all based out of there. Yeah. So, well, they've, um, they've, they spend yeah. a lot of time on aircraft, the guys from Alpha Rock, as they fly around and do little roadshows to raise capital. 
Um, but they're one yeah. of the smaller. Not so much now. I don't think they're doing <laughs> it as much at the moment. No, I think it was just <laughs> just just hold on to what you've got, you know, and uh, and try and grow what you have. So yeah, it's interesting anyway the way that they uh, that these guys operate, and and a lot of it too is around the way that they roll up accounts. So they take products out of out of a newly acquired account and they they put it into a much bigger account because bigger accounts actually have much higher multiples typically when you exit those, and so they just uh, they're not doing it with every single account, but where uh, but mm-hmm. in some cases, they will buy a business, grab the products from one account that they've just bought and then throw them into a consolidated account, which is obviously doing much higher revenues, much higher profit, um, and hmm. uh, and then getting a much higher exit on those once they've been rolled up as it's described or as it was described to me. Mm. That's interesting. I've never noticed that uh, that what you're talking about. I've never looked into it mm. because uh, most acquirers, I don't think, are looking to flip or exit for a future multiple. So, um, well, certainly, yeah, there is, yeah, it was something that they were talking about, um, when I was helping them with some of their listing mm-hmm. optimization and other sort of, you know, specialized, um, um, Amazon stuff, but they, um, mm-hmm. I think at the moment they're not doing that. So I know that they've probably got about, oh, look, I'm not going to, I'm not even going to say it because it's, it's not my place, but they've got quite a lot of brands that they manage actively. They're all separate accounts, but they were certainly looking mm-hmm. to, um, at the time, maybe they've changed their mind now and they're not going to do it, but they were looking to to take products from one account in particular and, and roll it into another one where there was a bit of synergy mm-hmm. between the sort of the product mix or whatever um, from the, you know these two, two accounts um, just to not only save on administration and, you know, they've got everything consolidated under one account. The thing that they did too, though, sorry, Jason, I've kind of interrupted you, but one of the other things that they were doing mm-hmm. too was that the bigger that they got, the more advantage and synergies they got with shipping. So everything that they bought was sourcing from China. They were having everything shipped to a port. They would consolidate that entire shipment into a container and then that container would, you know, go together. And so the, the shipping costs, um, mm-hmm. they're able to lower their costs as well as um, increase, you know, and, and at the same time, by extension, increase their profit. It was a really, really clever uh, model. Mm. Hmm. Interesting. I, I, you touch on a point that actually, uh, going back to the differences between what we see in Chinese and Westerns, uh, I would say operationally Chinese, because they're based in China and they, they speak Chinese, mm. um, supply chain and product costs, are, you can't beat them on that. That's Mm-mm. for the most yeah. part. In, that's a good thing about if you were looking to buy one is that that's already optimized. And generally, the weaker part is their listing quality is the is the undersold part. Um, but then, take example, a lot of the businesses that we look at coming out of China for Chinese who are looking to sell is they're much more willing to do multiple accounts mm. than what Westerners would do. I think Westerners think multiple accounts; they think it's against Amazon Terms Service or it's Black Hat. But quite honestly, if you go to Thrasio, um, one of their listings, which you can always just find. Uh, you, you know they, they aren't hidden, they aren't secret about it. You can actually see that there are multiple accounts listed under their product listing. Um, you know, and the new and used mm-hmm. from they actually have some another new one, and then you can trace that who is that seller, and it's also owned by the maybe a different legal entity, mm-hmm. but you can sort of tie it all together that oh, it's the same company. Um, okay. And so multiple accounts is a lot more of a common practice in Chinese sellers, yeah. which makes it a pain if you are doing. If you were running an Amazon business the way Western would run an Amazon business, which is logging into Seller Central, then it would be a pain to manage. But Chinese have all these software systems to merge multiple accounts into a single software dashboard, like Seller Legend or wow. um, uh, Seller Board, mm. but then manage it all from that. 
So they aren't having to log into each, every single mm -hmm. one. Uh, and they also go kind of crazy and they like, uh, because they're a bit more paranoid, I think in China about secondary access, as well as IP address mm -hmm. stuff, like Amazon detecting the same IP address from the same computer and, and that'll cause a shutdown. Yeah. Um, they actually use typically uh, VPSs, mm -hmm. virtual private servers. And sometimes when we've had to look into some businesses, sometimes businesses, rather than give us secondary access via email, which would be so much easier, yeah. uh, they're like, here's an IP address, uh, here's the admin username, and here's the password. And then we're like, uh, okay. So then like we pull, we whip it up and we go into the remote desktop and um, they're like, oh, it's, it's, don't worry, it's like, it's fast enough. And, you know, right now I'm in Taipei, so it's outside the firewall yeah. of China. And it's like super, super slow. <laughs> and then I can't really move the files from that computer off of it which I'm sure is intentional. Um, but they have, they have ways of doing this that Chinese have ways of doing it that Westerners probably would not even consider mm. doing or conceive of doing. Yeah. So um, Howard Tai has helped many Western, oh, sorry, Chinese sellers, I think with that, those sorts of arrangements. Um, don't yeah. think I'm speaking out of turn there by mentioning that. Um, talk us through sort of briefly or high level, how do you transfer? Cause a lot of people don't even realize that they can actually transfer their Amazon business um, to another entity. Um, what are the, can you just yeah. talk me sort of high level through the steps? Because I, I reckon a lot of people actually have no clue as to how to do this, whether that it was even possible. Uh, yeah, that's very true. Um, and it's something unique, I think, to the Amazon platform. Um, well, not necessarily just the Amazon platform, but I remember Etsy doesn't allow it. And I remember um, some others make it, it aren't as easy as Amazon's. Yeah. eBay makes it very difficult, and, by the way. Apparently, I was talking mm. to somebody the other day about this, but anyway, yep, sorry, interrupted. Off you go, please. Yeah, so all you really have to do is send a message to Amazon Seller Central, mm. letting them know that the potentially the legal entity that owns the account has been sold and the assets need to get transferred. Uh, and Amazon can't stop it because that would be an obstruction of trade. Now, this is applying only to the US. Uh, Europe is a separate mm. question. Uh, and then what that does, if Amazon will then give you the instructions of what to do next. Um, or they'll be like, okay, thank you for letting us know. And what they're doing is on their back end is sort of removing any algorithmic flag that would happen from just trying to change the entity directly yourself, mm -hmm. which you never want to do without first giving Amazon notice. So it's all above board when they get noticed. Mm -hmm. uh, and then after you, after you send the message to them and after they confirm receiving the message, that they understand that you're transferring the asset. Um, then you just step by step with at least 24 to 48 hours in between mm -hmm. Uh, change out the legal entity and the business mm. address, and then like next day the bank account um, on it, and credit then card, I think, next day anything other information, yeah. credit card. Yep. Uh, usually would not try to change the email under it, the primary email. Um, you can do it, but that's the one that you know. Is do it. Wait forty eight hours to see if there's any issue. But don't do it all at once. Uh, that'll flag an issue. This is so funny that you brought this up because the business that I bought, the Amazon business, also came with an Amazon Australia account. Now, we went through those mm -hmm. steps and, in fact, we followed um, pretty much exactly what you've described, which is we did the we got the permission from Amazon Seller Central or from the seller support. Um, we we did the, use, uh, the entity and the business address day one. And then we waited 48 hours and then we came back in on the next phase, which was the, the bank account and credit card. And then we waited another couple of days and then we did the username, password all in one go and the whole thing stuck. It was perfect. Mm. Where we came unstuck was that I forgot to tell the seller to do the same thing for the Australian account. 
And not only that, we did mm. the Australian account literally last night. Or we tried to do all in one go <laughs> from one end to the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole thing fell over. So now, now we're locked mm. out of the account and we have to, you know, da, 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 and yeah, have to try and figure out how to sort this mess out. And I'm feeling pretty bad about it. But yeah, it's really important. I, I totally agree with you to follow those steps and give time, Amazon time to breathe, even if you have permission um, so to, yeah. you know, you've, you've actually been told that it's possible. That's really good advice. Um, there's a new uh, transfer account. Let's get onto Europe and actually selling your Amazon business um, from Europe or in Europe if you have an, a European Amazon business. Um, mm-hmm. the, I don't know if you've seen it, but there's a new transfer account link in the um, in the account info section of uh, Amazon UK. Have you seen that? Because it's basically it's brand new. I haven't, but uh, I will look at it right now and pull up my central and uh, see if the, see if it's there. Uh, so I have heard Amazon is trying to make it easier on the EU yeah. front, um, and for sake of reference, we'll consider the UK part of the EU, even if it isn't. Um, <laughs> That's right. Because uh, when I when I sold uh, my I, business last year, I had um, a, a European seller account together with the United States seller account. The whole thing was linked too. It was all you know the the geo linking, whatever it's called. I can't remember. Um, but um, yeah, that that part of it couldn't be sold. Um, According yep. to the broker, yes. so it looks like maybe now it can, or something. Yeah, last I heard, this was almost a year ago now. So you, uh, things have probably changed mm-hmm. since then because I've heard from buyers that it's possible. Mm-hmm. Um, you might be able to transfer European accounts, mm-hmm. but it's not as straightforward as the US. No. Um, and ease, typically, the pre- the order of preference in transferring a e- EU stuff. Mm-hmm is first doing the doing listing transfer is the preferred yeah. way and then second is the actual share sale of the legal entity um, and that's beneficial if you're a uk based seller it's a huge tax savings because uh, they don't get taxed as much as if they did an asset sale if they do an asset sale they're, they're hammered hard mm. um, so it's advantageous to do a stock sale a share sale um, and then the last one is transferring the account and the last story i personally know of someone trying to transfer an account it led to the same situation as with the australian one where they got locked out for i think six weeks and the listings got suspended and the buyer was losing a ton of earnings um yeah it's something that i would recommend doing with extreme caution and only as a final last resort Mm -hmm. um or make sure you have someone in amazon that you're talking to who actually has done it um, if you have, I don't know, a point person in the UK or, or Germany or Not. wherever, you're, you know, doing it. but even that, um, skeptical that they can help. <laughs> yeah, fair enough too. Um, anyway, look, we'll just watch this space here because this transfer account thing has just popped up. I don't know if anybody's ever used it yet. If anybody has, please get in touch. Uh, I'd like to find out whether it's possible or not. Um, so Jason, we know that there's a lot of sellers on Amazon from China, um, What's it like on the deal side? So uh, the Chinese selling their Amazon business to each other or how are you getting Chinese sellers to sell through you, through your brokerage there? But on an mm-hmm. M&A perspective, virtually none of it comes from China. And like, why is that so? And uh, as I mentioned earlier, another question was like, they don't, most of Chinese aren't even aware of it. This is one issue. Um, language is another issue. Um, and then, but I think primarily it's cultural difference and trust is very low in, in, the, in the country. Um, and you can't just hire someone who speaks Chinese and expect that 
okay, now I can enter China or like now I can, now I can get them to sell. You actually in China, I have a partners in China. He needs to mm-hmm. actually go to them and visit them in person and have tea with them. Uh, and, and then it has to do like the dance a couple of times before the seller feels even comfortable, uh, even like revealing, revealing more of their numbers. Uh, and we have to work with some of the buyers that we have more comfortable working relationship with. Uh, we will give them preference if they will hop on a call with a seller to show that the industry is is legit um, mm-hmm. because they don't even believe it's legit. And so it's it's a uh, yeah. People might ask, why do you need a specific person? Why do you, why is our brokers brokers specifically focusing on like just the China market? And it's because there's a lot of differences in the market that mm. unless you have lived in China and gone to the conferences in China, but also gone to the conference on the Western side and see how they do it with Seller Legend, uh, Helium 10, Jungle Scout, you wouldn't know on the other side, the equivalents, which are never one-to-one equivalents, but um, similar-ish. And then like there are certain business models that only exist in China to circumvent cap- capital controls, such as uh, payment gateways, like in the mm-hmm. U.S., you would just put in your ACH routing and an account number to get a payment. That's right. In China, they have to work with Payoneer, Lianyan Pay, Ping Pong, mm-hmm. a bunch of other yeah. service providers. Oh, fix. Um, and I remember being there. I was just like, "Why do these even exist?" Um, mm-hmm. like, but for China, they need it in order to get the capital in. And then, um, yeah, yeah, like if you if you're a Westerner and you're looking to buy a Chinese business and you think like, "Oh, do you have a team of VAs?" No, China doesn't work with people in the Philippines that often. They tend to have people like in the same office physically. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you ask, hey, can you give me a purchasing invoice? Well, um, quite a lot of them are just doing the transactions over WeChat Pay or Alipay on their phone. Mm. Like if you're looking for a piece of paper with the, of, with the chalk, invoice. it's called, yeah. invoice, mm. Mm. Um, you should probably just send someone to the factory and confirm the pricing. Um, yeah. but then the pra- the factory boss, unless they know that they're going to sell the business, probably wouldn't tell you the real, the real price. Real price. Yeah. So, um, it actually uh, leads me to, to another question, which is around, you mentioned VAs before and the fact that I mean, obviously, you know, a lot of people who use VAs out of India and stuff like that, that's Western sellers in particular, um, or the, or the Philippines. But, um, what happens if a Westerner buys a Chinese Amazon account and it, you know, how does, do, do all of the VAs or the people that work employees. there, do they go with the account, the employees? Thank you. <laughs> Yeah. So what happens there? How does that? Uh, that's that's the reason why we only target above a certain size um, mm-hmm. for acquirers who open the, who have the setup to bring the operations in house. Um, you cannot expect to continue using the previous team um, within your own operations. Just the way mm-hmm. things are done is too different. Uh, the language barrier too. Like it's not even for sure that the employees speak English. I've been mm-hmm. in I've been in offices of Chinese Amazon sellers where they're just using Google Translate, and it's like. You gotta have a conversation with them in English, and it's like just give up. And yeah. they can still. That's why Amazon's so great for China is it's all keyword based. Um, so I'm sure you, you can even do Amazon PPC in Germany or France without speaking the language because you can figure out, oh, these are the keywords that are relevant. Let me put it back into Amazon search. Are the results coming up similar to what I get? That's like, right. What I expect, and then I can realize, oh, is this relevant or not? And that's I think that's how the Chinese do it too. Mm. Yeah, that's why I think Amazon. Chinese like Amazon, it's very, it's very, uh, what's the word? Transparent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, the data is very, true. it's very obvious who is making the most and what the keywords yeah. are using and stuff like that. 
Exactly. Uh, I mean, just a reverse ASIN search on a on a competitor's product, you know, using Helium Ten or Jungle Scout or whatever, is going to tell you what are the main keywords that they rank for. What you Amazon know, you know, search what bar suggestions. Revenue. Exactly. Yeah. All that stuff. It's pretty easy. And then in Europe as well, you can do exactly the same thing um, because Helium Ten works throughout Europe and, and and other languages, including India, which is actually in English anyway. But um, but what I was going to say there was that uh, in the, in the early days when I used to do PPC in Europe, so Germany, Italy, France, Spain. Uh, I would I would just run some automatic ads, and they'd kind of tell me after a while what were the best keywords, and mm-hmm. just get rid of the rest and take the good ones out of there. <laughs> I think and, I learned from selling on Amazon Europe, which I'm in as well, is you can't just you can find a Fiverr translator to translate, but they won't know the keywords unless they no. put it back in, and you may have to teach that process to them to get the mm. proper one. Um, That's right. Yeah, it. Uh, yeah, I guess going mm. back though about to differences in Chinese versus yeah. uh, Westerners around their business. Mm. Um, I don't want to say it's a complete minefield out there of, of, of businesses because profit margins are lower and how they run their businesses are different, multiple accounts. Uh, there are definitely opportunities in the China seller market, mm. especially, well, the expectations can be all over. Seller expectations in the China market are all over. Mm. Um, but what you, you, you get if you're an acquirer is typically you can offer a lower multiple. Um, mm but a supply chain that's already optimized and the strength and core of a Westerner is more proper English sounding descriptions, that's right. um, better pictures and better EBC, just better overall, not really easily measurable qualities of a listing um, mm-hmm. is what you can get from yep. the China market. And yep. Yep. I was going to ask how many brokers are, sort of operating in China, helping Amazon businesses to, well, owners to sell their, their companies or buy them? Yeah, Is I think I'm, big well, yeah, as far as I know, the people who actually have the skills to be able to be in China and to understand that market, it's a pretty mm-hmm. small, it's a, it's a pretty small amount because you have, it's like a, imagine a Venn diagram and you have in one, in one bubble is a Chinese Amazon seller market, um, mm-hmm. just like being a seller in China. The other bubble yeah. is being a seller in the Western market. Okay. And then um, there's, there's some Chinese Americans or some Chinese that lived, that moved to the US and have that some overlap. But you add a third bubble, which is M&A. And like, who has that trifecta? I think I know, I know the other ones. Um, and as far as I know, for a brokerage perspective, there isn't one. Uh, but there are, I know Thrasio has a person. And I know another big buyer has a person in China. Right. Um, okay. Yeah. And you'd have to be really selective about who you are going to partner with if you want to get into China uh, about that. Because again, it's not just someone who speaks Chinese and uh, maybe has been to some conference in China and like they're just Chinese, but if they don't understand like the Western correlates to everything and Mm. how Westerners do everything uh, it's, that's where we come in is we are the cultural bridge to understand the differences uh, and trying to get Chinese comfortable with it as well as, buyers comfortable with uh, uh, with acquiring this asset. Uh, I think that the buyers have the largest hesitation is uh, when they acquire these businesses is, okay, you have multiple accounts. Like you must be doing black hat shit. Uh, must be doing, as they say, brush, mm. brushing or, or fake reviews. That's right. um, which actually, you know, there are, there are some out there for sure. There's not to deny it. I think a proportion Chinese will probably are a significant amount, but mm-hmm. not all are. And the bigger, especially in 2020, the better reason to have multiple accounts is it allows you to, in a way, circumvent some of the issues of Amazon inbound inventory. So 
Mm. Uh, you know, a lot of Westerners will work with a 3PL and then mm -hmm. the 3PL will then label and send it in mm -hmm. um, to overcome some of that issues in supply chain and timing. Chinese instead, uh, it's who can they work with as a 3PL in the US? It's a limited, it's a lower offering because they need to, be able to speak the same language as them, which is Chinese. Mm -hmm. And then um, the rates are competitive. And you know, in 2020, there's no space. Uh, so mm. what they do instead is they open up multiple accounts. And again, because going back to the issue of taxation, they aren't tax liable, it's easier mm -hmm. to open multiple accounts. And then, and because of Chinese software systems, they know how to, they can manage it. Um, and so if you run an inventory on one single, the main ASIN holding account, um, mm -hmm. you have another account that's, you have given permission to as like, like a distributor or whatever reseller to sell on their same ASIN. So for them, if they run out on their main one, they just switch a, switch a couple things in the back end, and then that's boom, right. it's, they're winning the buy box with themselves with a different account. Yeah. A separate account. Um, the, 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 the sort of other offer comes up as an FBA offer and bang. Yeah. It's live. Yeah. And uh, so they, they've literally just got, and then they're shipping inventory into the original account. Yeah. While they sell through the, the second account that they, yeah. So they're actually, so they're getting over those limits that were imposed last year and to some extent are still imposed now. Yeah. Um, and that's actually not something that is, some of the acquirers do this too. So it's like, okay. It's, some of the, it's not, I'm pretty sure Amazon knows it's happening, I would say. <laughs> I'm sure they do. Tell me, tell me more about your business. I mean, you've, uh, you, you know, you've, you've sort of started up really in the last 12 months, I suppose. Would that be, is that right, with um, the FBA Flipper? Uh, no, I would say it's actually been started very, very, very recently. Not, recently, not okay. 12 months. Um, yeah, okay, sorry. Because uh, I didn't intend to get back into the space, mm -hmm. but uh, living in China and what I was with the previous company I was with, Mm. Uh, the, I was telling people what I did and at the time, no one, it wasn't on anyone's radar. Um, mm. Mm. and I had gone to conferences and sort of actually held some of my own events in Shenzhen, mm -hmm. um, with another, another person who sort of plays the world between China and the U S and at the time people again, didn't consider it, but because WeChat is a great messaging tool. Yeah. The Chinese government can definitely read everything you do. Oh, it's not, <laughs> but um, they have a great feature in there that no Western app I've seen does is you can mm -hmm. tag people. So you can keyword tag people um, and create custom tags. And so that you mm -hmm. might forget who they are. Uh, but I put in like, I don't know, okay, Colombian Amazon seller. And then where did I meet them? And then like um, people were tagging me like, oh, mergers and acquisitions and mm -hmm. um, in Chinese. And so I'm now like, I've been hit up by old friends and old people I've met um, who mm -hmm. I'm like, who are you? And like, look at the oh, old conversation true. from like two years ago. I'm like, oh, now I remember that moment. And um, there is people are, are wanting to sell uh, mm. in China. Okay. So, yeah, um, the the demand side is really strong. I would say already, it's pretty easy to find a list, and that's not an issue. It's the it's the sell side that's actually an issue. Uh, and Westerners, if they want to sell their business, I would say eight out of ten who say I want to sell my business are going to be an okay fit for. Uh, most acquirers, uh, yeah. but I would say it's the inverse in China, where mm. if they say they want to sell, only one or two are going to be good. Um, and so I would say that FBA flippers is like the firewall. It's going to be the firewall between the good ones and filtering out all <laughs> the stuff. Some yeah. of the I kind of joke with my partner. Uh, he's educated in the West, but originally from China, mm -hmm. and I was like, we should call ourselves Imperial Flippers. Uh, get your joy luck jade garden business or something <laughs> like that like a chinese buffet and mm -hmm. 
So I'm not sure about that. <laughs> <laughs> we have for- no, fortune cookie. Open your fortune cookie to the west. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know to the east. That's anyway. actually that's not too bad. All right, I'll go with that. Um, yeah, look, look. It sounds like you're just trying to hit that lovely little sweet spot in the middle of the Venn diagram there. So uh, yeah, I hope uh, I hope it works out really well. I hope so as well. All right, so. We're getting close to the end here. Where, where, where do you think the deal market's actually headed in the next 12 months? First of all, let me just go back one sec here. Mm-hmm. Was the deal market affected, first of all, by COVID last year? Did it go up or down mm-hmm. or stayed the same? And where do you think it's headed this year? So I actually exited a little bit in terms of knowledge of the market because I left when the pandemic was starting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I sort of rejoined when things have sort of settled. Um, <laughs> and... And that's because of just such high demand. So what happened from what I understand mm. is the pandemic accelerated e-commerce tremendously. If you look at P&Ls of sellers in April, May, especially, their profit margins or their sales are super high because everyone was raising their prices to slow down sales because mm. uh, supply chain wise, they couldn't get it in. Mm. And um, uh, so from a valuation perspective now, all these acquirers that have come on the scene in 2020 more or less because capital is cheap to raise right now because of low mm. interest rates and um, you know other avenues and investments. It's like it's quite clear that e-commerce is the future. It just accelerates an already existing trend. Mm. Um, so all these when they acquirers come on the board now, though, and how do they value the we call a COVID bump of yeah. April and May? Mm. And depending on the acquirer, sometimes sometimes they get clever and look at the profit margins or gross margins of the products um, in the months before and after the pandemic mm-hmm. to get an understanding of what it would have been in a mm-hmm. normal year. But then on the seller side, they're like, why aren't you valuing historical earnings? Um, and there was actually one one acquirer who did something I thought was like terrible was they, they were going to value the business by adjusting it on the method I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. But then on a stability payment, which is typically like a trailing 12 months pre-sale and trailing 12 months post-sale, as long as the 12 months post-sale are greater mm. than the ones pre-sale, um, they'll give you this extra additional amount. So, But their reference on that one was the historical. So they're giving an initial valuation on like a normalized version, but then mm. doing the stability on the historical. And it was like, what the heck? You, that's not, <laughs> you can't do that. Um, but right. it does make it tricky as a buyer to, to value this because... Um, not all, but you know, there are some that some businesses that without the pandemic, they'd be probably going pretty down right now. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that sort of saved them and then others where it didn't have any effect. Um, and others where of course it just, it's helped it tremendously even, even till now. That's right. So, Mm. um, I would say from an acquisition point of view, it's like, it's great because there's tons of more buyers in the market. Uh, mm-hmm. From a seller perspective, it's good because your valuation, you're lucky had better sales in 2020, assuming mm-hmm. you were able to somehow manage your supply chain, which was not easy. No. Um, but then you have to be firm if you're going to exit, um, that they're actually taking into account those those months. And mm-hmm. considering it's now March and it's going to be a year soon before those those months, because typically evaluation is trailing 12 months, mm-hmm. um, you know, come come june this year that question of how to factor in a covid bump won't be a question anymore because it'll be outside the trailing 12 months that's right yeah so it's going to be a moot point at that point and in fact sort of around june july august last year it was incredibly difficult to get inventory and so there may in fact be um 
a bit of a dip for some of those sellers in the last trailing 12 months or so won't look so good at all. But anyway, we'll see. There might be a second COVID baby bump, not directly related to COVID, but because I understand right now containers are in short supply. Mm. And uh, like we had inventory that was just sitting on a boat at LA, but it, the boat didn't have dock space. So it just sat oh. for like a week or two at the port. Yeah. So it's an industry-wide thing. Maybe prices will go up again on Amazon and then people will earn. And then, I don't know, but we'll, we'll be as severe as, as uh, April, May, but there might be yeah. a second wave. Um, let's hope that it's a good second wave, not a bad second wave this time. Um, <laughs> and that everybody wins and that there is no health emergency. You know, and we've got to, what I'm hoping, of course, is that, that, that it's become habit-forming to shop e-commerce rather than you know sort of just more more people shopping online and it's become more of a habit for them rather than um you know sort of a one-off thing um mm-hmm. so yeah we'll just sort of see how we go there um jason that's I mean, this all- is a, oh, oh, go, go uh, ahead. I just, uh this is a sort of a tendential aside here in the u.s the development stage was massive malls and physical brick and mortar retail shopping and the trend has been for for a while now that malls are dying and, and Main Street mm-hmm. shopping is also dying. So I think the pandemic is accelerating an already existing trend. Mm-hmm. Now, the interesting thing living in China before is they just completely skipped over the retail building out mall phase. And now they're getting to building out malls, which I think they also realize isn't necessarily profitable. So they're just sticking to e-commerce. Um, but they sort of just jumped the gun and went straight to e-commerce uh, in, in terms of developmental market mm. side so uh, a lot of the good sellers on amazon are actually come from a previous ba- background in taobao selling um, right you think that the competition is fierce on amazon uh taobao is makes it look like the sandbox well maybe <laughs> not this maybe not that much anymore amazon's getting pretty fierce but uh mm. a few like yeah people who who played in on taobao chinese if amazon is 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 not difficult it's a walk in the park yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, fascinating stuff. Thank you, Jason, for your insights today. Very grateful mm-hmm. for your time. And um, it's been great to catch up with you again. We've had numerous conversations over the years and um, you've, you've helped me with some great advice about selling my business over, um, over a couple of years and, um, in fact, businesses now. Um, so I just want to say a big thanks for coming on the show. How do we get in touch with you? Yeah, if you want to reach me, you can just reach me at uh, Jason at the FBAflipper.com. Mm-hmm. Reach out to me there and uh, take it from there. Awesome. All right. Sounds thanks good. again. All right. Links and show notes for this episode can be found over at theaustralianseller.com forward slash podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast platform. Sign up to my email over at theaustralianseller.com and I'll send you a note each time I publish a new podcast episode. Thanks so much again for listening.